The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Steve Eschbach, and I am president and owner of Transworld Business Advisors of Naperville. And I'm delighted to have with me a good friend and business colleague, Denise Logan. She characterizes herself as the seller's whisperer, and she basically keeps people and deals from falling apart. And Denise, I'm going to let you expand on that a little bit more. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. You know, for those of us who are in a professional role in selling businesses, for us, we often see it as a transaction. But for our owners, this is the single largest transition in their life. And so I step in at a time in the process when an owner might be struggling and I help keep them emotionally grounded so they can make it all the way through the deal and not kill their deal when they get scared. Absolutely. That's a critical part. I've been doing this for a number of years now, and I even did it in the corporate environment many years ago. And there is an emotional part to this thing that typically might involve just finance accounting and legal work to get the deals done professionally in that regard. But you raised great points. So I'm curious to know a little bit about how you got into what you're doing today. So I'm going to rewind the videotape all the way back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in southern Ontario, Canada, and uh, suburban Detroit, Michigan, which is why I now live in Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> so many people don't know that if you live in Detroit, Michigan and head due south, what is the first foreign country you hit? Probably Canada. It's Canada, correct. <laughs> so tell me, that that's an aside that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but <laughs> in any respect, uh, tell me a little bit about your childhood. So uh, what did you do during your formative years? Yeah, so I grew up in a family business and made a decision that I did not want to be part of a family business because it seemed to consume all of the energy and attention of all of the people in the family. So I went off to college, became a social worker. That was the early part of my life and ultimately became a lawyer. Interesting. So tell me a little bit about the business. Are you care to share with me a little bit of the details and was your mom and dad both involved in it? Yeah, they had a couple of different businesses that were going on. So um, in that entrepreneurial spirit, there always seemed to be one more business that was being lumped on. My dad was a barber and grew a multi-chair barbershop business. And uh, my mom, growing up, when I was growing up, she had a bunch of different businesses that she ran kind of supplementing income. And ultimately she uh, opened a video store. And it was at the time when Blockbuster was just starting to become popular. So they went through that process of, are we a VHS or a beta Interesting. product? If you think back how long ago that is, Absolutely. And I watched them really struggle with that process of Blockbuster started opening stores that were driving small businesses under and how they navigated it 
ultimately they had four or five other businesses going and I just said, yeah, I'm out. That's not really my gig. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Denise, because uh, I've been doing, like I said, uh, business brokering for about four years. And many of the people that I interact with, they are multiple business owners. And I myself own a number of businesses as well. So I totally understand that. So you started in social work um, during your formative years. You're going through high school. What did you do in terms of prepping yourself for college? And was your end game social work at the time you headed to college? No, it, you know, that's a, such a fun part of life. So neither of my parents had graduated from high school. No one was even talking to me about college, but I had my eye on the prize. I was like, I'm getting out of this situation. I definitely want to go to college. So I left high school after 11th grade and headed straight to college. And at the time, I had a scholarship and had worked, saved some money. But my folks had not been thinking at all about college. So I was $2,500 short to go. I went to the local bank at the time when, you know, the banker lived in the same community he lived in and uh, asked for a student loan. When I brought the paperwork home, my dad said, I'm not going to co-sign that. What if you don't pay that loan back? And I thought, seriously, have we never had dinner together? And so I went back to the banker and he made an unsecured student loan for $2,500 to a 16-year-old. And, you know, looking back, that was a huge transformative moment for me. That was someone who saw something in me and took a risk. Wow. And I didn't actually plan to be a social worker. I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was a young girl. The guidance counselor in the high school that I went to, when you hear the story, you'll think that I went to school in the 1950s, but it was not the 1950s. Guidance counselor said to me, you don't want to be a lawyer. If you become a lawyer, you're going to end up as an old spinster and never meet anyone who will fall in love with you. You should get a, I know, isn't that crazy? Totally insane. And so he said, you want to get some kind of a job that you can fall back on if your husband dies or leaves you. So partway through my degree as a social worker, which is what he talked me into becoming, I realized that man was crazy. I don't really want to be a social worker. And ultimately, I did find my way to law school. Okay. <laughs> so in law school, what type of law did you study and what was your first occupation out of law school? So I thought I was going to be an international trade lawyer. That was what my plan was. And I moved to Washington, D.C., and I started with a firm that was going to have an international trade practice. And about six months in, I realized the only thing remotely resembling international trade is that I'm collecting unpaid condo fees from people who don't speak English. This is not really international trade. But I found I had a really great skill set. I was able to build relationships well. I was able to really guide the leaders of condominium and homeowners associations through the emotional process that's involved in running a large organization like that. Over time, I ended up building my own firm. And when we reached many lawyers, I ultimately decided that I did not want to be a lawyer anymore. And I merged my firm with a large Baltimore firm got rid of my house and bought a motor home and I took off. <laughs> that eventually gets you to Arizona or is there a stops along the way? It did. It ultimately did get me to Arizona. Um, you know what I thought when I bought the motor home, it would be six months to clear my head. 
and it actually turned into several years. When I came off the road, I was here in Arizona. But you know, that process of even exiting my own business really informs the work that I do now because I did not have a plan when I started that firm. And I think that often happens for many business owners. We start a business and we don't really have a plan. How will I exit this? What is my plan? And next thing you know, at least this happened for me, I realized I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't really know how to get out. And I made a super ugly, choppy exit from my own business because I didn't have a plan and I didn't have someone to help guide me through that process. And candidly, I waited too long. I knew I was done and I didn't know how to let go. So from that point to when you did let go, was that a short period of time or was it a long period of time? Because you said at this point in time, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And you eventually got out. Did you sell? Yeah, I sold, but I didn't really harvest my wealth from it because I was at a point where I just realized I don't want to do this anymore. So I knew about three years before I actually exited my business that I was done. It's funny because that's a timeline that we see a lot. And there's a myth that somehow we will just know when it's time and how to go. And so I knew that I was ready to go, but because I didn't know how to do it. And also, you know, if we think about it, I was in I was in my middle 30s at the time and I had built quite a big machine. It was a hungry machine and I was tired of being the one who always had to be feeding the machine. But there wasn't a lot of cultural support for making the change that I was about to make. Typically, if I talk to someone about being burned out or being done with it, they say, ah, go on vacation, like or buy a new car. Yeah. You'll get through this. And the truth is that I wasn't getting through it. And so when the time came that I just said, I'm done. So that kind of leads into my next point. So now that you've <laughs> consulted with quite a few business owners, I got to believe that you now have an opinion as to when business owners should start thinking about an exit strategy. And I'm going to bet that you run into a lot of business owners that are into the excitement of just starting and getting their business up and running. Where would you say that a business owner needs to start to think about, well, what if my exit strat- What should my exit strategy be and when, when should I start thinking about that? I think the best time to think about it is when you're starting. Truthfully, you know, it's the Stephen Covey principle, begin with the end in mind. And I think for many business owners, we just get caught up in running the business and it's so consuming. And there's this mythical time that at some point I will leave. I have this fun conversation with owners where often they will say, if I leave my business, and I would say, well, that is so much the wrong word because it's really when you leave your business. Every owner will leave their business voluntarily or involuntarily. Absolutely. So um, what would you recommend to business owners? Well, let me ask you another question. When is the time for Denise to start talking to business owners? And, you know, you had mentioned you, you were maybe three years a little too late with respect to your own business. Is that the time period? Should it be five years? When should you be starting to get involved with these owners who might be thinking about exiting? Yeah, I do think that three to five year period before you're planning to exit and harvest well is the best time to be interacting with most of the advisors who you'll need. And so I recognize that may not be the time that I come in 
but it's the time that I think beginning to start thinking about what are the pieces that you need to be putting in place to be able to let go. Absolutely. And I would imagine that would include not only one plan, but an alternative plan if plan A just doesn't quite uh, take shape, right? Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things that I find just really remarkable is that most owners intend to fund their retirement by harvesting the wealth from the business that they have invested their whole life's work in. But less than one third of businesses that go to the market actually sell. And that's a tragedy for the owner, for the industry, for your family. If that's where your primary wealth is coming from, then we owe it to ourselves to be able to have a plan for how we will harvest that wealth. So based on all this, I was going to ask you the question, what advice would you have given yourself, let's say, 20 years ago? Mm. My guess is that based on what you're saying is that you got to start this process early and just have it at least somewhere in your mindset. doesn't have to be number one, number two, but it's got to be somewhere in the list of things you got to be taking care of. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. It would also be that your business is not your life and you are not your business. So one of the key aspects of being able to successfully exit is to separate yourself from your business. So a question that I often ask owners early on when I begin working with them is, what does work provide for you? Because money is one component of that. But if you and I were to riff on that, we would be able to find 10 to 12 different answers to that question of what does work provide? And those needs don't go away. So if one of the things you're getting from your business, money is the piece that we often focus on, but there are other things. There's camaraderie. There's a place to go. At this time during coronavirus, when we're all at home, it's like this is a great time to be thinking about what does work offer you? Because as we prepare to exit, being able to meet those needs for many owners, their colleagues and their customers are their friends. Where will you get your friendship needs met? And what I see happen for many owners is as they get really close to the exit, those things start to surface for them. And there's some shame that arises around it. There was a client who I was working with on the West Coast, and he was young, in his middle 30s, and he was set to net $16 million from the sale of his business, which is a pretty good chunk of change at that time of his life. And he suddenly realized, who am I going to hang out with during the day? So he was out shooting pool with one of his buds. And he said that to his friend, to which his friend responded, boo-hoo, I wish I had your sad $16 million problem, man. Yeah. You know, Steve, the problem didn't go away. Yeah. It just went underground and started showing up in the deal like a mushroom popping up in different spots. And those are the things that derail deals unexpectedly. Absolutely. So what would you say to date is your highest professional achievement? What stands out and what you've done during the course of your career? So many different ones, depending on different times sure. of my life. Right? I can think about when I was a social worker, being able to remove a child from a violent home. Oh, my. Super powerful work. Um, as a lawyer, I had a case that went to the U.S. Supreme Court which was a pretty big, exciting professional achievement for me then. In this stage of my life, 
being able to see an owner successfully make it all the way to the other side of this chasm of selling their business and walk happily into a place of retirement. There's nothing like that. That's great. That's great. How many clients have you brought to that uh, ultimate end, would you say? So I've worked with close to 700 business owners in helping them navigate this transition. Wow. So tell me, uh, of those 700, um, what would you say is a typical time period? Let's say that someone calls you in, and let's say it's year 13 when they should have called you at year 10. So how long does it take that emotional process to go along with the actual negotiating, financial due diligence, et cetera? How long is that process, would you say, from the day they meet Denise to the day that they sign on the bottom line? Is there any average or? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I'll come into a process when it's very late and the deal is almost unraveled and someone, maybe a, a broker or a lawyer or a wealth manager introduces me at that point. Sometimes we can still rescue those those deals by being able to really identify what the emotional component is. Obviously, if we start earlier, it's much easier because we know as professionals that this is a tumultuous process for an owner. And everyone in the deal is focused on the transactional part. When they're able to have someone who is there just for them, to help move through the transition, it's so much easier and so much smoother. But, you know, we, we deal with it when we deal with it. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Denise, because I think one of the questions that I should be asking, and I'm, I'm now doing it, is how much of an evo- emotional involvement there is. Because there's client relationships that built up over a number of years. And, you know, you get to a point where you're ready to move on. And for you, that's the right time. And your clients depend on you. So that transition process is a critical element when you are going from, you know, signing on the dotted line to making sure that uh, the new owner has a great company to work with. There's something that I did with a client years ago who was having trouble letting go. You know, he had convinced himself that it doesn't matter if I die at my desk, right? If I die at my desk, my wife will be fully taken care of. There's insurance and there are professionals, which, you know, we hear. I call that the oh my syndrome, one more year. If I spend one more year, I'll somehow figure this out. So I did something pretty unusual with him. I came to the house and I said, today we're going to practice what happens when you drop dead at your desk. So when I ring, and I prepared he and his wife for it, he said, when I ring the bell at the front door at six o'clock in the morning, it is as if your wife just got the call that you dropped dead. And you are going to be the secret silent one here, just walking with your wife and I through the day. It was a very emotional day. But we saw all of the things that she didn't know. She didn't know the alarm code to the building. She didn't know. And so I think for an owner who often convinces themselves that it doesn't matter whether or not they have preparation to exit their business, that's a lie. It's a lie. Absolutely. It matters to your family and it matters to your customers and it matters to the legacy that you have spent your entire life building with your business. Makes a lot of sense. It really does. Do you have an ideal client at all, Denise? Is there someone that you really like the best versus others? Or I love clients who want to retire happy. There you go. So no industry, no, it just 
the attitude yeah. I think, is probably what you're saying is uh, is what drives you. Yeah, and the emotional part of letting go of our business is the same whether we're dealing with a very small business or a very large business. That journey that an owner takes through is the part that I love. Good for you. Good for you. Is there anything that you want to mention that we didn't cover in my questions uh, to you today? I wrote a book about the process of letting I go. Read the, and I read the book. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great book. Go ahead. The book Help is called, yeah, it's called The Seller's Journey. And it's written as a business fable. It's the story of an owner one year after he sells his business, looking back on that process. And it's written as a travel tale. So he and his lawyer and his banker and his wealth manager and the buyer of his firm go on a trip across Glacier National Park. And it weaves together the metaphor of the emotional journey that he went through to let go with the obstacles they face crossing the glacier. It was the most fun thing I've done in a really long time. Well, I read the book and it is very, very good. It's excellent. And it deals with many facets that people tend to overlook in this whole process. So great, great piece of work. Thank I, you. I enjoyed reading it. So before we go, why don't you tell the audience where we can go to find out more about you and uh, your profession and how to contact you. So I'll leave it up to you to fill in those blanks for us. Thanks. So my website is deniselogan.com. And on there, you can learn a little bit more about the process that I do. Uh, certainly, you can get a copy of the book there. And I speak all over the US and Europe about the topic of the emotion involved in letting go. So yeah, I'd love to have more contact. Thank you. That'd be great. Thank you so much for your time, Denise. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thanks again. Thanks, Steve. Be well. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.